Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Iwakuni. I am not Pastor Glenn. My name is Keegan. Um, Today we will be continuing our study of the Christmas Through the Eyes series. Um, This morning I want to look through two sets of eyes, be a little ambitious. Um, but to this morning, we're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph, that is, the, the earthly father of Jesus. But then also, I want to look at Christmas through the eyes of the believer. That's you and I. Now, <clears throat> we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 1, it's the first gospel. Chapter 1 will be in verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Will you all stand with me? Let's read. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which, the, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. You pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God, that you are good, that you are gracious and compassionate, Lord, that you never fail, Lord, and that you are the good gift giver, Lord, the best good uh, giver, Lord. And we just ask that you would... uh, Stir up our hearts and our minds, Lord, just to receive the word, to remind us of the good news that you've brought to us, Lord. We pray all this in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so it's Christmas time. So I was looking up bad Christmas gift stories. (laughs) If you have some, please share them with me later. But two that I found were... Short and sweet. So one is talking about a younger guy who was playing video games, and he happened to be in his parents' room and was playing, left his video games in his parents' room. Mom came in, saw the video games, the the stack of video games, thought Dad had bought their son (laughs) games, so she wrapped the games and put them under the Christmas present. So as he opened them, he's like, I have this one. Wait, this is mine. Um, So he got his own games for Christmas. Another one was <clears throat> a teenager, or I should say, uh, a gift was given from an aunt, and it was a, one of those wooden pop-out, like, pull it out and pl- plug it back in, little toy sets. 
um, which is recommended ages two through four. The uh, person sharing says I was 14 when I got that gifts. <laughs> Thanks, Aunt May. Um, so turning to our message this morning, again, I want to look through uh, look at Christmas through the eyes of Joseph this morning, and also as uh, through the eyes of believers. You know, the the idea that I want you guys to see this morning is that God is a good gift giver, and that He has given us freedom, hope, and power, and we can have all of these things when we ask. So now, looking at the situation uh, of Joseph, you know, we just we just read that Mary comes to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Now, the situation at the time, there's not much to go off of here. But where they were at, uh, relationally, they had probably been engaged for quite, quite a few years, but engagement in this time is different from how we do things in the modern day where, you know, you like it, so you put a ring on it, and then... You know, then you guys get married and it's done, short and sweet. Sometimes people take a little bit longer than others. Other people's are quicker. But in this day, if my family and your family were good friends and I, had, I have daughters and you have a son and it's like, hey, we like this family relationship. We like, we got a good thing going. So why don't we just, you know, you just had a son. My daughter's a little older. Why don't we just, we'll just enter into engagement right now. We'll promise you know, our daughter to your son, you'll promise your son to our daughter. So it, was un- it wasn't uncommonplace to be at the playground and for, you know, little Sue to be like, oh yeah, that's my fiancé over there on the jungle gym. Like, that was, that was commonplace. But where things really got uh, stepped up was in the espousal period. This is the, the place that we find Joseph and Mary. This is uh, where they have, <coughs> excuse me, a ceremony that legally marries the two. The only thing left to finalize is the consummation of their marriage, to come together physically, to have the big celebration that that two flesh have become one. They are now husband and wife through and through. But in order for Joseph to separate himself from Mary, as Scripture writes, he'd have to legally write out a certificate of divorce. So Mary drops this bomb on Joseph, and he's like, whoa, you know, you, you left to go visit your cousin's house, you know, three months ago, and now you're coming back and telling me you're pregnant, and it's by the Spirit, you know, and an angel told you, like, who's this angel? Where's his, where does he live? What's his name? I need to go have words with this guy. Um, but he, he doesn't believe. We see that he doesn't, it's hard to accept, which, you know, if any of us were in his shoes, it's reasonable. It's a big and marvelous tale that she gives him to say that an angel visited him and, and said, the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in you the coming Messiah. That God is going to work in an unconventional way. So Joseph knows this, this pregnancy is not his. They haven't even consummated their marriage, but they're, they're relationally their husband and wife. Now, Joseph, again, he has mind to separate from her, but this unbelief, this hard-to-swallow thing is causing a rift in the relationship. It, made, it put a damper uh, on the relationship, to say the least. But Joseph, we're told he's kind enough, and he plans to do it quietly. You know, in the religious legal system at the time, if 
he were to openly tell, hey, this is what happened, she's pregnant, that means she's an adulteress, the law was to say they were to take her out and stone her, to kill her, so that she would be a public example to say, this is not the way to live. This is not the way to do things. She has lived an ungodly life, and we need to purge that out. So now Joseph's situation has one more layer that at first glance we don't see. In verse 11, I didn't read it with you guys, but in the genealogy, that is the, um, the begots section, um, in verse 11, there's one name that sticks out. Verse 11 says, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. At first glance, it doesn't mean anything to us, but um, the life of Jeconiah is, there's not too much written, but what's written there is impactful. It says that Jeconiah, being the second to last king before Judah, the kingdom of Judah is carried away. That's the last of the last bit of the kingdom of Israel that was left before they're getting uh, before they get captured and taken away to Babylon. He's the last king. He's young. Uh, first king says he was eight. Chronicles says he was 18. Either way, I, I would feel uncomfortable with someone that young ruling a, a nation. But it also says he was young and he was wicked in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't do the things that his forefathers had done. Though his father Josiah had reestablished <clears throat> worship in the temple. He had torn down idols, but here Jeconiah puts them all back up. He goes against everything that God desires for him in his country. And so because of that, in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, um, there's a small section where God talks directly to and about Jeconiah and, uh, and poses a curse. He says, Jeconiah, will never have any of his seeds, any of his descendants will never have a claim to the throne of David. They are cut off from being uh, able to, to have the throne. They are cursed, and that his seed would never prosper. Now this uh, section of begots, the geo- uh, genealogy, it leads to Joseph. There is another section uh, in Luke, that also has a, a genealogy which ends with Joseph. At first glance, it's confusing because the names aren't the same. It, it's quite different from from after David. There's a certain name, and then it and then it, it's completely different. It doesn't make sense. You're like, okay, well, which one's which? So the one that we're looking at right here is Joseph's actual genealogy. It's his line. Now, we see Joseph's situation, but now let's look at God's response. What does God do? So God is going to make a way of hope for Joseph. Uh, So Joseph, again, he's a man of two curses. So he's got the curse of sin that we all are under, and then he's got the curse of Jeconiah. But now the way of hope is created um, first for the the way out of Jeconiah. When we look at the genealogy um, presented to us in Luke, uh, that genealogy is actually for Mary. Mary is from the promised line. He's, she's from the line that's good to go, the one that can uh, rule and have claim to the line of David and the throne of David. But here, you notice it ends, uh, it ends with Joseph's names because as he, <clears throat> as he marries into the family, he becomes part of that. He becomes, uh, God makes a way for him to be part of that blessing, that line of the Messiah. 
Now, next we see a way out of the curse. Now, salvation would come through Mary's firstborn. God's grace allowed Joseph to find salvation in the coming Messiah. Now, it's interesting, the angel that speaks to Joseph in the dream, he first uh, addresses him as son of David bypassing the curse line saying you are you are the son of david the very man that god promised thousands of years before that there would be a a promised one that would lay claim to his throne and have an eternal kingdom forever and ever and he addresses him as son of david now uh the next thing god does is he provides a way out of the curse of sin uh again through the Mary's firstborn, and then God's grace allowed Joseph to find salvation in that coming son. And then the angel gives two names for the son that would be born. First is Jesus, which is a transliteration, which is a fancy word of saying that he took one word from a different language and just brought it into your own, changing it a little bit uh, so it's easier to pronounce. So um, we have our name Jesus from the Latin, which is Jesu Christo, which is actually the same way you pronounce it in Japanese. Um, but the original name was Joshua. Jesus' original name was Joshua, which when you translate it in Hebrew is Jehovah Yeshua. So God is salvation. There's a lot more I wanted to dig into that about the meaning of God's name and how it is the becoming one, but we don't have time to do that. How God's very name that he gives to Moses is, I am that I am. I am whatever you need me to be at that moment. And in this moment, not only Joseph, but all of us need salvation from sin. Now, the next name given to us is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, Joseph would be able to experience like nobody else, like no one else, the coming of God in the flesh. Next, we'll see how God restored the relationship through the words of the angel. So Joseph and his wife, while they weren't consummated, the relationship that they had was still real. They were still both looking forward in excitement, in hope at their future together, the family they would build, the life they would have. But all that came crashing down when Mary had to drop the bomb on him and tell him, hey, I'm pregnant. And he had to make a decision. What am I going to do? But through these words uh, that the angel present to him, he's finally given hope. She's got validity to the voice that she, or the story that she told him. And all at once, Joseph hears these words and, and that, that love is restored back to him. He's like, yes, I've got, I've got that relationship back. She stayed true. She stayed faithful. I can still move forward in hope, in that excitement that I had in the relationship with my uh, to-be bride. Next we see is the power for obedience. Joseph obeyed. He heard the word of the the voice. uh, He heard the voice of the angel, excuse me. And in faith, now Joseph obeys. He moves forward. He's, He's able to listen and obey, to to take his wife, to marry her, to finalize the thing, uh, finalize the marriage, excuse me. And he did well. He took care of her. You know, we see that he brings her in, and all of that meant with uh, premarital 
pregnancy at the time. All the shame that wasn't rightfully earned by him. But he was able to take that on. He was able to take all that came with accepting her. And he took care of her. He, uh, we see that he also took her from northern Israel to southern when they had to make the journey before Jesus was born. And I can't imagine that traveling that far with a nine-month or eight-month pregnant lady was a good time. You know, I can't, I can't imagine doing a long car drive with, you know, nowadays with a nine-month pregnant lady. It's just uncomfortable for everybody. But the next thing is we see he respected her. We see he didn't he didn't consummate the marriage till after Jesus was born. He respected the, the things that she was going, the body changes, all of the emotion, everything that she was going through, he respected and loved and supported her. Next is he provided for their life after Jesus was born. Now, we're not going to go too far into this, but there's not much on Joseph in Scripture. This is probably the longest section we'll, we have on Joseph but a few things we do know and some we can speculate is, one, he was a carpenter. Uh, is, you know, some of the people remembered and, and talked about Joseph and saying, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Um, even Jesus, his trade, we are told, is a carpenter, so he had usually is taught a trade by the father. The next is, we know he had at least six kids with Mary after Jesus was born. We know Jesus' brothers. Jesus had four brothers, so we, we were given their names in, in the gospel. And we we're also told that he has sisters. That's all we're told is plural sisters. So we don't know how, how many sisters he had, but at least two, right? So that's at least six kids. The other thing we can infer is Joseph probably died young. We never see him or hear reference to him during Jesus' ministry here on earth. And we don't see him at the cross. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he talks to John and says, Be, uh, you know, Behold your mother, and basically hands his mother over to John and says, You take care of her. She's now your responsibility. Now, what we see is what, meant, what Christmas meant for Joseph. We see three things. First, freedom. We see freedom is uh, brought to Joseph in the two, two curses. One, the curse of sin through Jesus, uh, the promised Messiah. He has given Joseph freedom from the curse of sin. But then we also see that he's brought in one fell swoop, freed from the curse of Jeconiah, that he would not prosper, that he would not have any part in the coming Messiah. But here he is. God has made a way for him. Next we see uh, Christmas meant for Joseph hope. He had hope to love the wife that he had dreamed about settling down with, that having a family, moving on, and just doing life together. And we see that he, he also got to experience hope that God is good and that he keeps his promises. The promise that we he knew about from Genesis in chapter Genesis chapter 3, the promise of the Messiah given to the, the, the woman. That that same promised Messiah that he heard about then and that they keep getting reminded of each prophet that came through and each Sabbath that they had and they open up the scriptures and he's reminded, oh yeah, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. He's now here. God is good. God has kept his promise. And then finally we see that it meant power. 
for Joseph, he can move forward. This is a rough situation, but God uh, spoke to him, and he was able to move forward in obedience to do the things that God had for him. Now, for us as believers, you know, what's our situation? What makes this season special? What makes Christmas special? You know, uh, when I asked the uh, older kids a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching them, you know, hey, what's Christmas? Like, when, you, when we say Christmas, what do you think of? You know, you get, first one I heard was a manger. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, manger, manger. Jesus was there for a little bit. You know, the other one was presents, Christmas tree, uh, lights, all those kinds of things. But what, is, what does it mean for us as believers? What difference does it make for us as believers? You know, our situation is similar to Joseph's. We're all under the curse of sin, and while Jeconiah doesn't play a part, sin is unescapable for us. But the other one is that we can, rather than oppression of a curse, we can become under the oppression of self, knowing the truth but feeling defeated and weak. The promise that God gave in the Old Testament, in, the, in Genesis, was that he would make a way for us to have fellowship with him, to have relationship with him. You know, if you were to uh, summarize up the gospel, summarize up scripture, you know, if personally, if I were to do it, I would say relationship and expound on how God desired fellowship. That's why he created you and I to be in fellowship, in friendship with, one, with, uh, with us and him. But we, as we, when we chose to sin and disobey him, that fellowship was broken, and so God has been making every effort to bring us back to him. We see he allowed the law to come into play to have a temporal uh, way for us to have engagement with him, fellowship with him, but it wasn't, it wasn't the way. It was just... A means. It was a teacher to show us that we are still broken. We're in a state of destitution. We're in a broken state and that we can't do it on our own. You know, in us, uh, well, in Adam and Eve eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they were basically saying in their haughty attitude, God, I don't need you. I got this. I know better than you. I can decide what's right what's wrong, what's good, what's evil apart from you. I got this. You know, for us as believers, the truth of salvation from sin is easily acceptable, one, and one that we hear often. But the gospel presented um, before us in Scripture is shown in three parts. And it's interesting that each part represents or correlates to a part of the Trinity. As I said, in the garden... God the Father walked with man until we disobeyed and ate of the knowledge of good, uh, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But God then promised that He would fix the situation, that He would bring a son through the woman who would save His people from their sad state. And that brings us to the second part of the the, the gospel, which is now we see Jesus being born here, as promised through Mary. He lived a blameless life in all ways, perfect and fully filled with the Holy Spirit as our example. 
He died for our sins, rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have forgiveness of sin through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But that's not, it's not the end of the gospel. Sadly, we don't often hear the third part. The next part is, the next part is equally as important as Jesus dying on our sins and forgiving us because when Jesus arose and appeared to his disciples, he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit and they would receive power. He would give them power. So there, as the disciples gathered in the upper room, the sound of rushing wind came, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them in flaming tongues of fire upon their head, and they declared the good works of God. Power came to them. Now, friends, listen to what the Word of God is saying. So now, Jesus spoke of the Spirit much. He often referred to him as the helper. When you hear the word helper, okay, he's one who helps. Who is he helping? Jesus? Jesus is such a beautiful picture. He's, he's the God of the universe with all power in heaven and earth. He's the one with no beginning and no end. And he came to die just for, for you and I that and to be a living example what the perfect life lived, filled with the Spirit, was to look like. Now, we as believers so often find ourselves defeated, shamed, lost, confused, because we don't have peace. We don't have the hope. We don't have the life, the excitement that we know we, sh- we should have as believers in Jesus And all of that falls out of reach and leads to sadness and bitterness towards God because we don't understand, like, God, I've chose you. I've accepted you. I don't understand why don't I have the things you've promised. Now, for many of you being in the military, you can understand strategy. The best way to cut off uh, an enemy is to take out the resources. There's supply line. You do that, the well will dry up, and they'll be easy to overtake. And the strategy is the same for the enemy today cut off the source of power, cut off the supply line. That's the quickest way. And when we're not connected to God, the only person left to sit on the throne of your hearts and mine hearts is ourself. And there's no weaker position for us to be in than when self is in control. But the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers is that life-giving power. Now, Media would depict, me being a uh, little bit of a Marvels fan, media would depict power as something that you earn, something you do enough of this, you learn enough of that, you go to this place, you do these things, and then you are given power. And that power is yours to use as you will. But God works unconventionally yet again. God says, you, I have power for you, but all you need to do is step down from the throne. Enter into a relationship to me, with me. Now, Jesus also says that in John 10, 10, he says, the thief does not come but to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life 
and they might have it more abundantly. Now Jesus came to lay down his life that we might have forgiveness of sins. But he's also come, friends, that we might have life more abundantly. Now that power is offered to you and I, um, but it's not like the movies. It's not an inanimate force. It's not an inanimate thing that we tap into like we do electricity or solar power. He's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's the third part of the gospel. Now, Jesus told us uh, in John chapter 14 that he would not leave us orphans. And he's a man of his word. He did not abandon us, but rather he told us in John 16, 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Friends, he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you orphans. He hasn't abandoned you. Again, in his great love for you and I, he laid down his life for the remissions of sins, a clearing out of our past and uh, sins, present and future. Not so that we can be made clean and, and uh, you know, dust off and pick ourselves up by the, our bootstraps, if you will, like, like uh, we're at a football game, pick them up and give them a slap on the tushy, all right, go get them, and just figure out how to do the life as a believer on our own. He knows our weakness. He knows our need. And he knows that we are creatures destined to break down again. And he hasn't abandoned us. God desires to give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. This morning, He desires to give you the, the power of His Spirit every hour, every moment of your life. And what do you have to do to receive it? Just ask. Ask. John eleven thirteen says, uh, Jesus holding no punches back. He says, if you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit especially says holy spirit to those that ask him god desires for you to live a victorious life in him what jesus has done for me and for you is no real no uh, what jesus has done for you and i is of no practical value until it's worked out in me and you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus has done on the cross doesn't do anything practically for us until we have the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that the failure to put these two truths together, that they're equally as important and we need to know and believe and walk in these two things is what leads to defeat in our lives as believers. You know, Jesus came for a twofold purpose. And who else would know that other than John the Baptist, his forerunner? John first said, Behold the Lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. But then he also said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. You see, I need forgiveness of sins but I also need those spirits work in my life daily to overcome the sin in my life. 
we are told that Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, walked and was led by the Spirit, how much more do we need that connection to the Holy Spirit in our lives daily? We cannot be what God wants us to be. We cannot live the life that God desires for us without the power of the Spirit. Now, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I too send you. Now, the Father sent Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus, that is, he promised he, we too would receive the power when the Holy Spirit came upon us and that we would be witnesses to him to, around the world. Now, Jesus promised the disciples when they uh, were standing on the hilltop before he uh, ascended into the heavens and he said, go and wait for me or wait for the Spirit to come, wait for the power to come upon you. Now, the Spirit has already come. We've read Acts. It's descended. It has come. Now, what do we have to do to receive the work of the Spirit in our lives today? Just ask. Just ask. This is the gospel, friends. Again, we broke the relationship with the Father, and the Son made atonement for our sin, and the Spirit has come to give you and I power to live the life that God has always wanted for you and I. Let's remember the gospel in its entirety, the real reason for the season. Not just a humble family with a baby in a manger, because the real power and the real blessing is not in the baby Jesus, but in his life, death, and the spirit he has given to you and I. And Jesus, God, is the, the best good giver, and he's given us these two gifts, the forgiveness of sin and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Can you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given to us this morning and every morning. Lord, every moment that we need you, we can ask. Lord, so I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds, Lord, this day and this week, Lord, that you would stir up that hunger that only you uh, can for your word and just the excitement for our relationship with you, Lord, the gift that you've purchased with your very blood. Lord, and we ask that you would just be with us. Lord, may you work on our hearts. We thank you and we love you. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.